Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's a big week for the Nittany Lions, just a few days away from the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl against Washington. We will get to that later. Penn State signed 21 players in the early signing period last week. Of course, we will get to that. But before we get started this week... Uh, some sad news. Uh, the Penn State football family suffered a huge loss last week. As I'm sure you know, former offensive tackle Adam Gress passed away at a far too young age of 26 in a fall in the Pittsburgh area last Thursday. Um, Adam left behind a fiance. He was to be married next summer and really an unforgettable legacy, not so much for his play, but his personality. Uh, on the field, Adam Gress was a footnote in Penn State football history. He started just 12 games in his final two seasons, nine of the last 10 under Bill O'Brien, and he, he was fine. Uh, he wasn't a world beater by any stretch, and he'd be the first to tell you that. He went undrafted and went to minicamp with the Giants and was cut after the preseason. He did get to play against and beat his hometown Pittsburgh Steelers in a preseason game, which I'm sure was a thrill. Gress was a huge Pittsburgh sports guy, and even though he was a football player, he really, really loved the Penguins. Uh, hockey season was always a special time for him. He would often send out snaps from, from the game at console, and I was Oh, really always wonder how pissed the guy behind him would be getting those seats behind uh, that big uh, Sasquatch, as they called him. Um, after he got cut by the Giants, he earned a tryout with the Steelers. And although nothing came of it, you knew that that was a dream fulfilled right there. As I said earlier, Adam knew he wasn't the best player in the world, but he stuck around longer than many. And that was really a point of pride for him, as it should have been. But Adam Gress's impact was far bigger off the field. Uh, his personality and heart matched his giant frame. He could make anybody laugh, usually with an off-the-cuff remark that had nothing to do with anything going on at the moment. Uh, a young lady popped up on my Facebook timeline. I'm not sure who she is, but a friend of Adam's um, with, with a bunch of pictures in remembrance of him and story of how they met. She was sitting in Pollock, uh, and this guy she didn't know walked up to her and said, You know what's an amazing vegetable? A pumpkin. And that was so him. I mean, that was unexplainable, unpredictable, goofy as hell. That was Adam Gress. He'd often entertain friends with old football stories via Snapchat. I was lucky enough to to, to be a friend of his on there because he's tremendously entertaining. Um, usually he did so on his way to work in the morning. Uh, my favorite was his Ron Vanderlyn impression. Uh, Ron, even though he's not, uh, uh, you know, he's a phenomenal teacher. He's a legendary position coach. He's still a bit of a little bit out of touch. Um, he also has a distinctive voice that that Adam could absolutely nail. Um, Ron was a Michigan native. He'd tell the players stories of checking out. Bands in the Motor City in his younger days. Uh, needless to say, I was rolling by the time that Gress dropped in, in, in perfect Vanderlyn and voice, Detroit Rock City, baby. And that was just, I mean, that was Adam. I mean, he was, he was always just a freaking goofball and he was the best. Um, I tell people in recruiting that the stories are the same every year, but the names change. Sometimes those names stick with you, though, and even more rare instances, they become acquaintances or even friends. When I heard the news about Adam last week, it wasn't about a former player that we were writing about. It was a friend. I leaned on Adam probably more than I should have during his time at Penn State uh, for information, for anything like that. He took it in stride. He was always generous with his time and never really bullshitted me, which which I always appreciated. Uh, I also tell friends that – or excuse me. I also tell folks that I don't root for the team. I root for the kids. Uh, when you cover recruiting, you know these guys when they're sophomores or juniors in high school and that's just the start of everything. Penn State recruits a lot of good, normal kids. Gress was a normal dude that happened to be 6'7", 320. 
We're really going to miss him around here. Uh, everyone that got to know Adam Gress is better for the experience, uh, including myself. Um, you know, I, I recorded this piece separately so we can get into the regular podcast flow as usual. And also because honestly, I'm, I'm going to need a few moments to gather myself to record. Um, so enjoy the rest of the show, everyone. Uh, rest in peace, Adam Gress. Our, our, sincere, our sincere condolences go out to your family, your fiance, and, and, and thank you for the impact that you've had on so many lives, even if you don't know it. Rest easy, big man. We're going to miss you. It's the latest edition of Lions 24-7 podcast. Andrew Callahan hosting many miles away from partner in crime, Sean Fitz, as we close in on the final days of the Fiesta Bowl. But we have a two-part special here for you talking Penn State. This episode is the aptly named Potpourri episode, where basically we are going to talk about everything that is not Fiesta Bowl related. There's lots to get to. Breaking news the other day about two players being kicked off the team. Of course, early signing period before that, and a variety of news and nuggets in between that honestly has been tough to cover because I just mentioned, Sean, we've been apart for the last few days, uh, but also almost the last couple of weeks. How have you been without um, you know me back home? I've been su- surviving, you know. Uh... The, the two young kids have most of my attention, as you've noticed from my infrequent texts and phone calls and everything like that. But uh, no, it's good to have you uh, living it up out there. I got some some snaps and some Instagram stories of you sitting by the pool. So I don't want you to work too hard in Arizona, but I, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> Yes, uh, grinding, grinding at night. You know, watching all of that film in the hot tub. I might even be in the hot tub right now, but I'm I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to drive you too jealous, um, or at least you know as we're speaking because I can do that silently via Snapchat and very passive aggressively. Eight degrees uh, here, on. if you're wondering. Eight degrees. Yes. <laughs> uh, they. I don't think they know what that is down here in Arizona because the word chili was used today. Do you know what the high was? What was that? Seventy three. Man, I hate you <laughs> so chilly, much. <laughs> chilly, seventy-three. No, I, I was I was upset myself because obviously I know what's going on back home. I was shoveling snow before I flew out of Boston when I was up with family around Christmas time, and I, you know, could have been strolling around in a speedo all day, whether it was forty or seventy-three, as it was in the middle of the day. And that that woman who was serving us said, "Yeah, it's chilly." And um, I'm glad I was working because that meant my uh, attention was preoccupied and I couldn't respond and didn't swear. But yeah, uh, anyway. It's a chilly 73 degrees here, but the news is always hot. A couple quick thoughts because I wrote today uh, about the linebacker situation, which has really been the point of discussion and is born, of course, from Manny Bowen being suspended. It was a murky picture looking ahead. Bowen was the most logical fit to slide into fill in at middle linebacker. That's obviously not an issue right now. And Brent Pry said today, listen, we are going to try more than six different guys to that position next year. And it's the old saying. If you don't have six linebackers, you really don't have one. Yeah, the, I mean, it's it's kind of a mess right now, no doubt about it. I mean, they've got bodies, but you, you've got question marks with every single one of those guys. I mean, uh, looking too far ahead, of course, Manny Bowen not coming back next year now. Uh, it was confirmed earlier this week. Um, it's just uh, – it, it, it's crazy to think about. I mean, you've got Jan Johnson. You've got Ellis Brooks. They're going to have to play young guys, and if that means starting Micah Parsons there, which James Franklin said last week that he would, or moving along, Nick Tarburton's coming in, Jesse Lukita's coming 
coming in in January. Um, it, it's just going to be something where they're they're going to have to play around, find the right fit. What they've liked to do the last couple of years is find six guys, make up a two deep, and roll with that. Uh, you don't have Brandon Smith coming back last year, who was kind of a band aid for Penn State wherever he could be this year. Um, so yeah, linebacker next year, it's it's definitely a solid concern. It's it's right up there, probably the top concern on the roster. Right, and you mentioned finding six guys and trying to fill out a two-deep. That's for every position. Next year, that will be six guys trying to fill one, and that might be even difficult in and of itself because Brent Pry was also saying, listen, I told Cole Farmer the other day, don't be surprised, buddy, if we slot you into the middle. And his eyes got big, and he was like, whoa, because, of course, he doesn't think of himself as a middle linebacker. I mean, he's just gotten used to the idea of being a field linebacker, which, as we've detailed many times, is a very different position from playing in the box. Um, so uh, to me, this boils down to – because we'll stick again with, with the long-term ramifications here and get more into the Fiesta Bowl stuff in our Fiesta Bowl um, preview episode – that it, it comes down, in my mind, it, unless Koa makes that transformation, what, which, in fairness, was one that, that Mike Hull made – um, in, the, in their first year, the staff on campus in 2014. Unless he does that, this comes down to Micah Parsons or Ellis Brooks. Brooks, of course, has got talent. He's got experience there. He, he reminds certain teammates of Jason Cabinda, which is obviously a, a positive thing. Micah Parsons stepping in. He's going to be an early enrollee. The athleticism speaks for itself. But in either instance, this is going to be a huge load to shoulder for a freshman. And those you know, even even still, that's going to be your two prime candidates. So if both of them falter. I mean, Penn State thinks it might be at a loss now. They're in a just a, a difficult, if not disastrous, spot moving forward. Yeah, I'll be honest. I wouldn't be surprised if Jan Johnson started the spring as the number one guy there. Uh, but I think you're right. Ellis Brooks is a guy that they've been excited about. He's been a little banged up this year. Um, he's had some problems with his wrist. But, um, you know, high IQ kid, a guy that's really uh, a student of the game, not the most athletic. I mean, you put him and Parsons beside each other. There's no doubt who the more athletic guy is. Um, Parsons has never played middle linebacker before. That's uh, that's what it comes down to, to for me. I mean, he, right. He's basically been a you know, a rover. You know, he's an edge rusher naturally. I think uh, you know his best position would be a three four outside backer. But um, you know, I mean, he's athletic enough. He's he's his football acumen is is of such that you know is he the guy that calls the defense that calls the plays? I don't know that he's there yet because you know he's going to mm-hmm. be a freshman, a first first semester freshman next spring. So. Uh, I I don't know that it's going to happen right away, but Parsons is so phenomenally talented that I think he can make up a lot of ground on a guy like Ellis Brooks. So um, there's so many questions right now. We don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, Manny was was obviously the guy that you could slide in there from experience and everything like that. But yeah, I mean, you're going to have to take your lumps. You're going to have to play young guys. Is is Nick Tarburton ready to go? I mean, I I look at him and Jesse Lukita. Both of them have to get faster, but both of them have the size to stand up and hold up in the middle. So they're going to have to play young guys. And James Franklin's going to say that 10, 15, 20 times before the season. They're going to have to play young guys. They're going to have to take their lumps, and they're just going to have to go with it. Yeah, they will. And I think it's a good point about Parsons, too, putting all that, you know, as I said, on his shoulders. Because a position, much like quarterback, you know, it's at the, it's the center of everything that they're doing. You're going to need to make calls. You're going to need to make checks. And again, if you're freelancing from that spot, not only you set a tone for the rest of the defense, but against runs or passes, if you leave a hole where there shouldn't be one, that leaves the defense 
really vulnerable. And I think for a guy there who, you know, I've never spoken to Mike personally. You've covered his recruitment and handled a lot of that for the site. But if approach to the game is a little bit of a question mark, that's one position really where you can't get away with it. I mean, corners are often on islands, defensive ends, defensive linemen. You know, the position is more complex than than is typically portrayed. But nonetheless, the most complex it really gets is that middle linebacker and also from a leadership perspective. So not only just a young guy, but a young guy who, you know, has had this long recruitment. And I think that speaks to, you know, his situation, obviously, his his ability and his power but you know if you're a true freshman and you have that leverage of we really need you to play here then maybe you don't have to listen as much as you might if you were further down the depth chart or behind a couple of veterans who are setting a tone so a lot of elements at play here i think you're right that they're going to play young guys and they're probably going to play this out as long as they can maybe even leading up to week one because they're going to want to give a number of guys reps to really find out what they have and then move forward with some starter which will probably change in 2018 yeah and the question Uh, the question that i have is is which guy is going to call that defense I mean, Koa Farmer is obviously the most experienced, but as you mentioned, he's a safety that's come down and, and, and played the Sam, which isn't you know a true linebacker spot. It's there's a lot of linebacker elements. Cam Brown's been an understudy for his two years and really hasn't done a ton. So you know, if you have Koa calling the defense, I'm not sure why you wouldn't try his slide him down to the mic and and make him call the defense from there and let Micah Parsons maybe move over to the Will and Cam Brown, which we saw at the Sam a little bit at the end of the season. So you've got options. I don't know that any of them are particularly great options, um, given the lack of experience, given the fact that we don't know, you know, what Koa brings to the table because he has been very hit and miss the last couple of years. So, uh, it, it will be fun to see play out because they, they've got some talent there. They're just not a not a ton of depth, um, you know, one or two injuries there. We could be looking at what we saw a couple of years ago with Penn State, uh, and, and that was a scary situation. Mm, yeah. Obviously not one they wanted to be in or planned in. At least now you've got a little bit of foresight to say we're not where we want to be, but we've got time to test out um, some different plans and contingency plans that they might have moving forward. If, if so-and-so doesn't pan out, and you really got to rely on, as you said, perhaps Jan Johnson when, when all is said and done through spring ball. Uh, Minnie Bowen, though, not the only player kicked off the team. Irv Charles is, is joining him permanently on the sidelines. Charles, initially the news was he's not here in Arizona, which means they left him at home. Well, they also left him for good. Officially, it's a violation of team rules for both of them. This has been more of an ongoing issue. And, and for him, it's it's not so much offensively where they've got to replace him. It's on special teams because offensively, you know, we, we both had the same idea. Justin Shorter basically now has the inside track to being the backup of the X receiver spot. Not only is he big and, and tremendously talented, but he's got that ability to win one-on-one without really the need of many route concepts. Because basically when you're playing that, as Chris Goblin did a year ago and Juwan Johnson is now, you are just by yourself on an island as much as the corner is across from you. So he'll slide in there. That was Irv Charles' old spot. Irv caught one pass this year dropped more than that, became a top gunner on the team, arguably their best special teams player. But I think when you have more freshmen that they've come in rolling in that are redshirting as four stars or following the lead of a Nick Scott, they're going to be flush with talented special teams players who might not bring everything Herb did, but the depth they'll have there for those roles at Gunner or anywhere else in their coverage teams is much better, so they'll be able to survive him moving forward, which obviously they'll be able to do offensively. Yeah, the impact on this one is is more on special teams, and it's more immediate than anything. I think one of the biggest disappointments over the last two years is all the talent that we've seen from Irv Charles, and and I don't think that was co- coaches just talking him up or doing whatever they needed to do to motivate him. The kid had talent. 
talent. I mean, there's there's never been a question about that. Just never clicked. Uh, one thing that we said last year, Juwan Johnson worked himself into the position that he was in last spring in this this fall camp. Urban Charles, there was a distance between him and Juwan Johnson that you could see the work ethic was different. So I think that's the biggest thing to take away from it. Um, you know, I think it, it, it hurts more immediately in special teams, especially when you've got Justin Shorter coming in to, to play that X next year. Um, so as a receiver, you, you sort of take it or leave it. As a special teams guy, they'll be fine in the long run. Um, they can adjust right now. They've got athletes to do it. And the way that they've been recruiting speed, recruiting length, I think they'll be all right there too. So comparing Charles and Bowen, obviously Bowen leaves the bigger hole when you're talking about uh, what they have to replace going forward. Right, or probably the bigger hole that you have right now because Brandon Smith's been playing a little bit better than Manny Bowen as of late, and they've been able to adjust without him for the last three games whereas Irv has been more hit and miss. Two last notes on Irv. Uh, one good, one not so good. Uh, obviously the biggest play from his career, 80-yard touchdown against Minnesota last season, early October. They're on the verge of going 2-3. and three. That's a spark of the second half, which still had a lot of work to do, but eventually they pulled that out in overtime. That ball, his first career catch, 80 yards for a touchdown. You remember that almost caught him by surprise? It looked like like, like you could tell from the press box, there was no way in hell, like everyone else, he expected the ball to suddenly be in his hands 40 yards oh, downfield. Oh, that was like Featherstone and Necessary Roughness where he caught the ball in his face mask. I mean, it was just like it was right there. It was a perfect throw. Uh, surprised the hell out of him. Surprised the hell out of us. And, you know, he he showed some things there and, and they, they started to grow with that. I mean, I, I go back to the, the – James Franklin said he was the most talented receiver, which, you know, whatever. Oh, he's ever been around. That was my number two because not only is that just ridiculously high. <laughs> expectations but this is a guy who's also happened to remind us he coached at the green bay packers who at the time had javon walker and donald driver yeah i mean i think it's a motivational tactic irv has always needed sort of a kick in the pants type of thing um just to show him how good he could be i mean you could talk about chris godwin was still here at that point uh tompkins black now i mean there's a lot of talent in that room last year still a lot of talent in that room this year but i mean it sort of showed where he could go he just never took the ball and ran with it and uh I mean, short of a pun about hitting him in the face mask, I mean, that's sort of indicative of his whole career. It is. All right, moving on. Manny Bowen, Herb Charles, no longer with the program. We're going to go back to our regular scheduling programming. Uh, let me try that one more time. Our regularly scheduled programming. It's a little late here on the West Coast, but I, I believe it's a little later back uh, out there on the East. Yeah, yeah. you're in mountain time. I, I have got no sympathy for you right now. Uh, tweet of the week. Fringe, fringes of mountain time. <laughs> tweet of the week. Reddit College Football sort of summarized this one that I've been looking up. Of course, last week was the early signing period, the first one ever in December. You know, things would, would kind of get crazy, especially with guys um, – potentially enrolling in January, making their choice. Here's how it broke down. Uh, For those keeping score at home, Randy Charlton, three-star defensive end from Miami. Um, You know, he's been all over the the map in his recruitment. I know nobody here probably followed it. Um, But the morning of signing day, uh, last Wednesday, he announced that he was going to FIU in the morning, Florida International. Um, You know, it seemed like he was a heavy lean to Indiana. Uh, Syracuse was also involved. There's a bunch of schools involved, but that's not important. Later in the day, he tweeted he was going to Indiana. This was something that uh, I think a lot of people... People expected. He's got some teammates going there. So, you know, he's going to Indiana. The letter does not come in. Sort of things go, you know, sort of fester for a day or two. When it came down to it, Friday afternoon, Central Florida tweeted that he had signed with the Golden Knights. That is, it's, it's, it's spectacular. 
I mean, it's Cruton. I mean, it's hashtag Cruton. Uh, it's it, it's peak recruiting. It's crazy, uh, and and that's sort of what that's just December uh, signing period has led to. This is a guy that's a January enrollee uh, coming in early, had to make a decision. Sort of was under the gun. Um, his parents wanted him to stay home. He wanted to go to Indiana. Uh, the original compromise was FIU, then it changed to UCF. Just crazy stuff. And if you think recruiting is crazy on a national level, you should go down to Florida. I mean, I, I had a college coach tell me, you don't want to be the first commit or the first school that a Florida kid commits to because, I mean, you're basically out of it at that point. So um, Sands, Judge Culpepper, and Jordan Minor, I guess. But it's such a crazy world. And, um, you know, in, in, in terms of this early signing period, there's good and there's bad. And the Randy Charlton situation was probably the early signing period and it's worst. Is that a, is that a form of a statism that that coach dished out to you about Florida kids? No, you follow it. It's absolutely true. I mean, it's it, it's so crazy when you're talking about Florida guys, and and we'll get into this later in the show about uh, the new rules and everything with official visits. But the Florida guys, I mean, things get crazy down there, and it's and it's not a surprise to see some of these guys commit when they are sophomores or early in their junior year, and then all of a sudden, you know. This is the state where kids are committed to a school and then they name a leader that's not the school that they're committed to. I mean, it's it, it's insane. It's sort of the wild west of things and it, you know, it just compounds the SEC down there. Of course, you got Miami, you've got Florida State, you've got a bunch of options as well. It's just crazy down there and and this is probably the best example that I can think of off the top of my head of of how crazy it is to recruit Florida. Excellent. And you'll be there in a couple of days. I will be. Orlando uh, Under Armour game. We'll be covering it. Justin Shorter, PJ Mustafer, Ricky Slade, uh, Jason Owe's there. Um, Shaquan Anderson butts as well. So, um, yeah, stick by us for that sort of coverage. I'm not sure how it's going to work out with the podcast, but the important thing is that I will be warmer. It won't be as dry as Arizona, but I will be warmer and I can celebrate it then. Well, here's the other thing is I believe part of this is just a cover for you to go train down either at an Exos uh, or some of the other facilities there that they'll have, you know, ongoing for future NFL prospects to train for our pro day that we'll be having in March. I'm actually going I'm actually going to IMG to train. I'm not going to lie. So. I'm not going to lie. I was searching for IMG's name for a good two, three <laughs> seconds there as I'm elongating my words and it couldn't come to me because, of course, Brandon Bell trained at IMG last year and we did the whole draft diary with him. Um, I don't even know if Exos is in Florida. So thank you for mentioning that. So, yeah, you will be at IMG. I was right. Anytime. I'm, I'm happy to find that for, for you. You are happy to give us the quote of the week from Arizona. I am. So this is just absolute fuel to the fire of the folks who want to point at us and go that the media is bad at their job because, of course, there's enough of us where you're going to have some bad eggs or some very stupid eggs. Yeah, it's not that hard to do. I mean, let's be honest. Well, I'll say again. I said it's not that hard to do. I mean, let's be honest. No, it's not. And you can say that for any profession. But moving on, this question is – sets up our quote of the week. The question to Jason Cabinda was, have you become a fan of the cactus during your stay here in Arizona? And before – I wasn't there for this, but but Jason presumably shook his head at some point before delivering, quote, I have. Me and Cam Brown were kind of messing around outside recently. We heard from somebody that cactuses, I guess, they can like not throw their needles at you, but they're called jumping cactuses. So we were trying to throw rocks at some of the cactuses to see if the spikes would then move and stuff. So we were messing around and stuff, end quote. So first of all, uh, it's cacti. 
But again, this is the first time, just like many of the Lions have been down to Arizona. First time for Jason Cabinda. I didn't know about the jumping cactuses where I guess they don't truly shoot their needles at you, but they move. And neither did Jason Cabinda. I am not going to test that out by throwing rocks at the cacti. Um, but fun stuff you learn when you got extra time down here in the desert. The jumping cacti, I believe, a, a, a stalwart in Super Mario Brothers 3 on the Nintendo system. Uh, but yeah, that's crazy. I'm actually surprised no one has asked about the creepy-ass Fiesta Bowl mascot, which is just uh, is one of well, the scariest things I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it's a sun, a, a guy dressed up with a sun face that's just, I mean, it's it's taking the Raisin Bran sun face and just putting it on steroids. It's crazy. <laughs> I, 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 it's awful. I'm going to have nightmares about it now that I've talked about it, so... Yes. All right. Now, uh, while you were doing that, buying me some time, I'm looking at the jumping cacti, uh, really actually known as the jumping cola, as I've arrived here in the Wikipedia page. They're called that because of the ease with which the stems detach when brushed. So they do not leave on their own volition. It actually looks like they're more popular uh, in Mexico. This, these are the things you learn in the Lions 24-7 podcast, uh, also known as the hanging chain chola. But I think they, they got it better with the jumping chola. Wow. Uh, would you like me to, to bring some back? Um from here in the desert. I'd love it. I'd love it. I mean, the more you know, the more you can experience it. You get it all on the Lions 24-7 podcast. You got it all on Lions 24-7 last week. Uh, signing day, huge day for <laughs> Your transitions, hold on, let's pause for a minute. Because I think all the last three transitions you've had have been pushing me along or like pushing me back to the path of this rundown that we have that we're looking at to make sure things are going along. I'm kind of enjoying this new, this new diagnosis of ADD I've picked up since I've arrived here in Arizona. Last you are not, you're not enjoying it as much? Last week you took me off the rundown. I got the shakes, and, and I don't. I don't want to experience that again. This is my rundown. We got the second pod coming up. That's you, that's all you. So uh, I thought it was a seamless transition. Uh, obviously, it's not anymore. Um, there was just a pattern developing. So I just wanted to make light of that because every time it's been well. Next, here we go. Follow me. Here I, we. You know, I like the way we're going. Um, Signing day last week, Penn State, number four class in the country right now by 24-7 Sports. Signed 21, of course, have 22 commits. Shaquan Anderson Butts did not sign as was expected uh, last week. But uh, Penn State got a big jump. Micah Parsons, Jahan Dotson both came on board last week um, You know, on Wednesday with announcements. Parsons, of course, in the morning, Dotson in the afternoon. Um, dive right into it. What, what Parsons does for 2018, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, they're going to put him at the mic and see what happens. I mean, I don't think there's any harm in doing that. Like I say, his best position is, is as an uh, edge rusher that can get to the quarterback you know that will that will be limited but Brent Pry will bring him as a blitzer you you've got a freshman in there you want to sort of narrow the things down that he's going to do or going to be asked to do you bring him and, and you try and get him after the quarterback so I think we see him you know trying and, trying and get up the middle um trying to get around the end um you know as a blitzer more so than a typical Mike linebacker but he's got the athleticism to do so Michael Parsons plays from day 1 at Penn State I don't think there's any doubt about that Jahan Dotson uh, is a guy you stash away a little bit you've got KJ Hamler there in the slot you got Brandon Polk who's a little bit older in the slot and you potentially have DeAndre Tompkins there as well um Dotson's a guy who's silky smooth I mean he's not a burner I mean he's he was he was committed to UC CLA, uh, Chip Kelly came in, you know, there, there wasn't the ultra contact uh, there between the two sides. So Penn State took advantage of that. It was a guy they didn't have room for before. But when the numbers came down to it, they decided to take him in state guy. I think he's number five in the in the state in terms of the 24 seven sports composite. Um, so, you know, 
Penn State's falling back to four stars right now. I mean, that's basically that's the big thing you take away from Jahan Dotson. You know, before they've reached for guys um, at the last minute and have really not had a ton of success there. They've they've hit. Uh, on a couple of guys, but you're falling back to a guy that, you know, had offers once upon a time and didn't have these when he committed Ohio state, Michigan, Alabama, you know, Clemson, I think was in there. So Penn state, uh, kept up contact. He's an in-state kid, which I do think matters to the staff. So, um, two quality pickups there on Wednesday of signing day. Yes, they were. And those play right into, you know, more Parsons than Dotson, but just the, the immediate impact. I mean, for Dotson, I think, it will be the competition he adds to that already stacked wide receiver position. I mean, Justin Shorter is going to make, you know, again, a leap into the two deep as we expect, you know, barring anything surprising. And, and he'll be in there with Matt Kippenhammer. You mentioned KJ Hamler, a variety of other guys, Daniel George, too, where they're just this constant push that you really can't rest on your laurels, which we might have seen there with Herb Charles. Of course, you know, you're going to take on an individual basis, but I think it's just going to help bring out the best in the other guys and have that almost an unseen impact uh, with Dotson, a guy who's top 200 by the composite rankings, a four star you said they just fell back into so you know beyond Parsons and Justin Shorter uh, Ricky Slade going to be able to step in I think crack the rotation which should be a little bit more liberal with their substitutions in the backfield you know Miles Sanders should get the majority of those carries but he could potentially come in as a third down guy or maybe even on kick return Next guy in my mind has got to be Pat Fryermuth. I think I've mentioned this before. He's had an extra year at the high school level at Brooks School, a prep school that wouldn't allow him to enroll early. So physically, he's more developed. He's been into his playbook. And their offense was adjusted at his school to mirror what Penn State's been doing. So he'll be ready to step in on a number of different levels, even as he comes in during the summer. And, you know, everyone else still, you know, I, I think Jake Pinniger probably fits in there because of the positional need, Alex Barbier leaving. Uh, but beyond that, th- those are the other guys I think talking instant impact that are the closest thing you could have to a guarantee uh those are the five in my mind where's Fryermuth from again Pat Fryermuth, i believe is from uh, merrimack valley up in massachusetts a lot, of, a lot of good people hail from that area i'm stunned that you would pick him yeah i i also <laughs> i i agree with those five that you have especially pinnegar i mean i i don't think there's any doubt that he's going to see the field now at least as a kickoff specialist um we'll see what they do with the field goals the the shorter field goals or whatnot um and the pats um could could be a situation where they have a couple of guys running out there which i don't think is the the wrong way to go about it so um but but i look at those lines Linebackers. And we talked about it before. Can Nick Tarburton come in and make a difference? Can Jesse Lukita come in and pick things up right away? Um, both of those guys, like I said before, need to get faster. But at the end of the day, I mean, you need bodies at that position. And that's where need takes over more so than than an initial talent. Tarburton had a phenomenal senior year, uh, really good junior year. So but he's you know, he's over 250 pounds right now. So, I mean, how long is this kid going to be a linebacker? They want him to be a Mike linebacker in nature. I mean, you never know how that's going to turn out. So, um, but those two guys coming in January, I think can, can have an impact there. Um, moving on from that guys. That Wait, hold on. Where are the high schools that Jesse Lukita and Nick Tarburton, where are they hail from? They're, they're in Pennsylvania. Thanks for, thanks oh, for okay. That. All right. Just, just, just check, just checking, uh, flip, flipping the script on that guys that will take a long time to develop. Uh, I know we, we we can talk sleepers and we'll do that in a little bit, but um, guys that are probably highly rated that you should not expect to make an impact for a couple of years. So uh, Nana Asidu is, is an Army All-American. He's going to go down there. He is raw. I mean, he's 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 highly rated. He's a top 100 kid. Uh, looks phenomenal. 
looks older than me, um, which is saying something. But I mean, he's he's a work in progress. I mean, he's he's going to be a guy that you know. I don't want to throw the Sterling Jenkins comparison out there, but this is a guy that's probably not going to contribute for two or three years. So um, I don't know, man. You just you just already threw him under the bus with he looks like he's older than thirty five. Yeah, so. that's true. Um, but uh, no, I mean, he's a guy that's going to have to improve. He's he's athletic as hell. Um, you know, he's got the frame exactly what you want, but he's going to have to learn to play tackle. Um, you know, if you compare him eventually with with Rashid Walker on the other side, who you know did not sign in the first signing period, is going to sign in February. If you compare him, that's a tremendous set of bookends down the road. But I don't see an early um, you know an early impact guy in this offensive line class. Juice Scruggs is as talented as anybody in this in this offensive line class, but he still needs to put weight on. So um, I think you're just going to have to be a little bit more patient with this offensive line class. Luckily with that, luckily with Penn State, uh, they've been okay in the 2015, 26, excuse me, the 2016, 2017 classes. So they have time to develop. Right. And I think that's a bigger point too with the offensive line. They've been waiting for so long to get this kind of talent in and it's great that it's arrived, but then you need it to develop. And that's not even speaking to those two. It's the guys that they have in-house right now. For me, I'm going to stay in the trenches and go more defensive line outside of PJ Mustafer. You know, we were just talking off there might be able to actually crack the rotation on that, that third line of the depth chart Um, behind them. I think it's going to take some time for judge Culpepper and Aeneas Hawkins, you know, more so Culpepper growing into the frame that they want him to and adding some more weight. I mean, he's listed on the site as a strong side defensive end, about 256. He could certainly add a lot more and will need to if he ends up a three technique where he's largely forecasted. Hawkins in the other end has been playing end, but will jump into D tackle. He's a little bit heavier, but he's also shorter. So that tweener position has got to be solved out. And I mentioned, you know, when he committed and we did this breakdowns of all these different positions, maybe he fills down the road that Ryan Buckholtz role where you're able to kick inside on third down and you provide that strong, you know, run stopping presence on the edge. But for him he doesn't have quite the body um, of Ryan Buckholz he's about three inches shorter and it'll really take some time to perhaps they they would like him to permanently settle into the three technique maybe he's not ready to do that immediately but in the case of both of these guys even with the depth hit that they're going to take next year as they try to replace a thousand snaps a defensive tackle physically they need to come along and in particularly with Hawkins find out what role might be best for him if it's going to be still a tweener or if they need to jump him into a single position. Yeah, and I think people are going to look at the defensive tackle position next year and want guys to uh, sort of come in and, and contribute right away. I I don't see that happening. Mustafer is a guy that probably you know can if you need to. I mean, he's he's got the size. He's 285, 290. He's wrestling right now, so he's going to be 295, 300 by the time he gets to campus. Um, but those other guys, I mean, it, I just don't know that they're going to grow fast enough Judge Culpepper was supposed to come in in January. He's not going to do that anymore. He's under 260 pounds right now. Uh, Hawkins is 275, but he's a little bit shorter, so maybe a little bit closer to his goal weight. So um, I, I, I just I think people are going to want to see somebody step in right away and make an impact based on what what's on the roster right now. And you don't know what you're going to get from Hansard and Bolds, the two guys that just mm-hmm. redshirted. Um, so there's there's a ton of questions at defensive tackle, but I don't know that freshmen are the answer at, the, at those positions. 
Right. I think Ellis and Jordan, a name that we've left out, I think he's a good lock there for the second line of the depth chart, you know, behind Kevin Gibbons and Rob Winter, who should assume uh, starting duties after the Cawthorn law firm leaves. Uh, but you're right. You know, Hansard right now, he, he's not even practicing with the team. You know, he, he's not in pads as we've seen the last couple of days. Antonio Shelton also in that mix, but hasn't been able to really make an impact, you know, so far after he completed his red shirt. So it'll be a position to watch, you know, not so much for the top line, but definitely that depth. And particularly if they, they have a couple of injuries, I think they'll their hand will almost be forced to play the likes of a Mustafer um, and maybe some of those other younger guys. Yeah, you'd love to have another year out of Tyrell Chavis, but that's not how that works. Um, but speaking of that, and this is not a good transition, but we're going to go back into sleepers now. Um, I know there are a couple of guys in this class. And it's difficult to, to pick out sleepers when you know over half your class is four-star guys, but Charlie Catcher has been a guy that I've talked about for a long time. Phenomenal football player. A lot of that's going to depend on his shoulder. I mean, He's, he had, I think, another surgery um, earlier this off season. So, um, where's his high school located? In Pennsylvania. You got me there. Oh, very good. Um, but uh, no, three I mean, ca- catchers as good of a football player as there is in this class, and you know, he's he's right there with Parsons in terms of being a high school player. Um, when he sticks to one position, he's able to put weight on. And he's able to get back into lifting again. You know, he's a guy that can be a multi-year starter, in my opinion, at Penn State. And uh, I think uh, in the long run, he can be just as good as as Lukita and Tarburton maybe even better even though he's not the the highest rated of the three yeah, I'm going to go, you know, again, a name we've mentioned before, Trent Gordon. I'm not going to spend as much time talking about him, but the two Texas DBs, Isaiah Humphreys and Trent Gordon, they'd be up here early. We have obviously seen the impact of what an early enrollee can do with the extra time in the weight room conditioning, being with teammates and being in the playbook. Gordon's got that positional flexibility, and Humphreys really does too. You know, I think they'll, they'll carve out roles in special teams first, even with the safety jobs up for grabs next year, you know, probably going to be taken by Nick Scott um, and Aaron Monroe, and after them, you you know, you've obviously got younger guys ready to step in. But, you know, I, I really like what I see from them on tape. And I think there's still obviously a functional weight to add for each of them, both around 5'11", Humphreys at 190, Gordon a little bit lighter. But they're physical, they're heady players. And I think all of those combined, given, you know, again, they're going to be able to step into January. Just there's too much going in the right direction for each of them to look at them and go, okay, they're three stars in a class littered with four stars. No, the, these guys could easily step in and, and have a, a variety of talents will be able to to lean on you know as they're, they're transitioning to the college level and again also that competition coming from texas you know that's definitely going to come in handy as they move up north yeah i think you can throw jordan minor in that group too i mean this is a guy that yeah. had a phenomenal senior season um he's got positional flexibility they're bringing him as a corner uh you know could, could potentially play safety as well so those guys that they're bringing in from out of the region you know i'll be quite honest with you earlier in the process you know i wasn't crazy about the the defensive back class but after seeing them this senior uh, seeing them as seniors seeing the the strides that they made and the, the ability that they have and bring to the table, you know, it's a pretty decent class they're bringing in. I know they're they're fairly excited about them in the Lash Building. So we'll see what uh, what happens with those guys down the road. Of course, a ton of talent um, already on campus, especially at the cornerback position. Um, so it might might take a little bit longer to see some of these guys, but you've got three guys right there in, in Humphreys, Gordon, and Miner that can help you out in a lot of ways and can also help you on special teams in, in a year or two. So, um, you know, pretty solid class that's probably a little bit uh, unheralded in terms of uh, you know on the national level in, in terms of defensive backs uh, Penn State with 22 commits 21 signed last week um, not not a ton of space left obviously there's there's still attrition of course Charles and Bowen earlier this week makes it a little bit more 
flexible with the 85 number. But uh, January, what's this mean? Jason Alway, Rashid Walker, Solomon Enos, Tyler Friday, probably the four names that you need to know the most um, heading into the to, to the month. Of course, uh, Jason Alway is going to announce on the 4th. So um, did he sign? Did he not? <laughs> you know, we haven't had anyone tell us that he actually did sign with either Penn State or Ohio State. Um, this has been kind of, you know, is kind of a secretive thing from their camp. And, you know, it's not surprising considering the kid wants his day or whatnot. But um, it's going to be really interesting because he's been all over the map. He's been back and forth uh, a couple of times now. Uh, where that one comes on January 4th, I get, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see because that 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 one has, has really gone quiet on that front. Um, beyond that, Penn State thought they could get a signature from Solomon Enos in, in December. It did not happen. So that one's going to go the stretch. We knew Rashid Walker was going to go to signing day or at least uh, into late January. So um, that'll be one to watch. He's going to visit Ohio State, but I think Penn State's got the upper hand right there. And Tyler Friday is really interesting. I mean, this is a guy that's got a ton of offers. He's actually got a ton of legitimate options right now. Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama would all take him um, – you know, at least before the the signing period, did not sign, which I think is is good news for Penn State. You got an opportunity to get him on campus, and you've got distance there. So, um, right. Penn State potentially a dark horse in this one. I think his crystal ball is on Michigan right now. Um, Alabama made a good impact. Um, Ohio State's made a very good impact as well. So, you know, if Penn State's going to you know be a dark horse in any recruitment, I think Tyler Friday is that. So, uh, it, it won't make for a ton of drama heading down the stretch, and we'll see if Penn State gets involved with any other guys we've talked about a couple of guys on the site in the last couple uh, of days but uh you know it should be at least uh at least be interesting over the last month or so of the of the thing uh excuse me of the recruiting uh cycle so this December, uh, the December signing period, it's cool. It gets a lot of things out of the way. It cuts down on drama for January. So from that aspect, it's a pretty good thing. Um, the, the new recruiting rules, uh, the December signing period. Uh, well, hold this, on. Before the, we jump into that, I, I'm curious, you know, with all these late commits that we'll have, as you mentioned, either it'll be officially in February or perhaps a little bit sooner with respect to Jason Elway, maybe more secretively, but Rashid Walker could sign earlier. The longer this goes on and there's more mystery, would that in your mind be a a good thing, a bad thing, or nothing at all for Penn State if there's no word earlier on some of those guys? Uh, I don't think it's a great thing, um, but but if you look at some of these guys, they've been recruiting them for a long time. So I think where it will get crazy is what James Franklin sort of referenced in his press conference last week is now all of a sudden you, you sort of reevaluate where your board is. You've got a ton of kids off the board signed. You don't have to worry about trying to flip them. You don't have to worry about trying to bring them in in January, convince them for official visits. So you can focus everything on uh, you know uh, just a set number. Number of guys. That's fine, but every other school in the country is doing that as well. So you're going to see maybe new, you know, maybe Alabama throws an offer to Rashid Walker and, and tries to get him down to visit, uh, or, or some other guys move on Solomon Enos. Nebraska offered Solomon Enos on Christmas. So, I mean, it's, it, I think it's one of those things where it, it's sort of a double edged sword. I mean, yes, Penn State is in a good spot for these guys right now, but what happens when somebody, you know, maybe a, a higher profile program closer to home, say USC starts? It's pushing a little bit harder for Solomon Enos. Of course, it's closer to home, closer to mom. That can make a big deal. Uh, excuse me, a big difference. Uh, but it's there's there's so many things that can happen, and it being in the first year of this December signing period, you just don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, we were talking to Andy Frank last week, and he said it's going to take two or three years until you learn the appropriate uh, steps to take in this situation. I mean, th- there's going to be wrong decisions made. There's going to be missteps somewhere, and that's not just going to be at Penn State. There's going to be missteps all over the 
the place. So it's going to be a learning process for these coaches. Um, it will be something that will be reflected in a couple of years. But in the meantime, I, you just don't know how it's going to play out. I think that's sort of the beauty of some of this. I mean, you've you've got some some cool scenarios where, you know, uh, I was looking earlier tonight. Uh, I, uh, Matt Alamo, who was going to sign with Pitt as a tight end, um, was sort of, you know, having second thoughts, did not sign. Rutgers has been rumored into it. All of a sudden, Auburn offers out of nowhere. I mean, that, that, that that's right. how crazy this can get. I mean, you're going to see schools that sort of have reevaluated their board, see what's going on, and are going to move on to the next best available. And that's going to probably infringe on some of uh, Penn State current targets all right so you are if you're a fan at home you want to hear as soon as possible so the longer the silence lingers that's ultimately perhaps not a bad thing but as you put it not great Correct. Yeah, I think okay. you want to hear as soon as possible. Of course, you got Jason Alway, who's going to announce on January 4th. And then Enos, you're not sure when that's going to come. Friday, you're not sure when that's going to come. Walker's going to take another visit or two and, and see what happens. So um, I don't think uh, outside of Jason Alway that you're going to hear from many of these guys right away. So, But 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 Penn State's got work to do with guys like Friday anyway. So, um, so yeah, I think ideally you want to hear from those guys in December. Uh, it's just not going to happen that way. But you've got 21 guys in the boat right now that you don't have to worry about. That's the other side of it. I mean, you don't have to worry about your one guy sneaking away for an official visit to another school the weekend before signing day or something like that. So that's the positive side of it. Um, you know, it's, it's going to change some things. And, and as fans, you're going to learn how to, how to deal with this. And, you know, uh, maybe it'll curb some of the crazy. I don't know if that's going to happen or if it can happen, but uh, it's just going to be a really, really interesting situation over the next couple of years. Right. And the next step of that, of course, is official visits that will begin in the spring. And for my money, I mean, I would have to imagine most of those would want to fall on, you know, Blue White Weekend. Yeah, it's it's great weather wise. There's an event going on. It's football related. Everyone's back in town. That's where you really show the environment that, you know, otherwise during the spring and the summer, you can't. It's a game day environment. You're going to try to appeal to the kids who are in Florida and Texas and whatnot who want to come to a game and say they want to come to a game. That's great. But by the time your season rolls around, these kids are already committed elsewhere to schools that are closer to their, you know, their home or whatnot. So if you can bring these guys in and the new rules state that you can bring uh, kids in for official visits from, I believe, April to June, um, not overlapping with camp or anything like that. But uh, you've got an opportunity before, whereas before it was September 1st of their senior year. So you can bring 2019 kids in now for official visits in the spring. I think it greatly benefits Penn State. Penn State, uh, excuse me, State College, a tough place to get to, an expensive place to get to if you're flying in. Uh, and if you're not flying into State College, you're flying into Harrisburg or Pittsburgh and driving up, which is obviously not ideal for, for a family or whatnot. So now you can bring these kids in. You can bring their parents in. You can get them uh, sort of a, a taste of the atmosphere. And Andy Frank said uh, last week that the blue-white game is going to take on added importance for them as a recruiting weekend. It's going to sort of step up the ladder. And I think that that's their way of saying, hey, uh, this is this is something that we need to show. You know, the, the Penn State has shown, you know, in past years that they've got crazy fan support for the spring game. They want to take it up another notch. So um, it will be interesting from that aspect. And it's not going to change the fundamental approach. They're still going to bring these, you know, if they're recruiting Zach Koontz and, and Nick Tarburton and all these guys from the area, Justin Shorter, they still want to bring these guys in after the season. This is going to change for guys at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale or, or you know, maybe bringing a kid like Jordan Minor in for an official visit or, or one of the Texas guys in for an official visit in the spring. Um 
where you can position yourself to get a return visit in the fall. You can't pay for it, but hey, you've already made a a, a pretty good impression uh, enough to get them back for a game in the fall. So this is this is something that I think is more, going to benefit more south to north, more so than north to south. Um, north to south, those kids getting down there has never really been a problem for most of those guys because you're taking spring break trips, you're taking summer trips with your family or whatnot. You know, getting those kids up from the south, and and I know I railed on Florida recruiting earlier. Uh, you know, a little. Bit early in the podcast, but getting those kids up from the South, giving them an impression um, that you otherwise wouldn't get because there are a lot of kids that, that that probably could have taken advantage of this in the last couple of years and Penn State just never got on campus. Right. Well, so, this will be fun. It's almost like a, a new frontier to – to speak of. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to learn a lot from it. They're going to bring in some, probably some higher rated kids. I'm not sure how it's going to play out because I know kids uh, will want to take their five, all five officials and, and it will be crazy because right now you've got guys that, that want to take all five officials, but don't have time based on their season, based on their postseason, and maybe they're enrolling early something like that. So you can stretch out all five officials to schools that you typically wouldn't see. So Nebraska is going to benefit from this uh, school. Maybe Oregon's going to benefit benefit from this uh you know a lot of schools up in the you know in the the big 10 will benefit from this a lot including penn state which is a little bit tougher to get to than some of those other places so um it'll be fun to see what kind of names they can bring in because penn state has done a good job of getting into top 12s top 10s um they're they're in the top 12 right now for the number two player in the country and i don't expect him to come to penn state ishmael softster um from from louisiana but if you can get him on campus that's a win right there so It'll be interesting to see how this develops over the next couple of years, how Penn State plays off this. And, of course, the spring game, I think we're going to see probably the best turnout in the, for recruiting-wise for a spring game in years. So um be fun to see. Uh, it'll be sort of a, a whole new frontier, but I think that the staff has worked hard enough to position themselves to get some of these 2019-2020 uh, kids up uh, early and, and sort of show that they're taking the next step to being a national program. Not there yet, but uh, it'll be really interesting to see. Good. Christmas in April almost. 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 Well, I hope – oh, you just opened me up for another uh, another segment. Oh, no. I hope everyone had a great Christmas. Thank you for joining us. Like I said, we're going to roll into the, the Fiesta Bowl preview. Andrew has been working his tail off out in Arizona. I know we joke a lot, but you know he's been doing a lot of quality content. He's been looking a lot at Washington. We're going to get into that later. Um, we're going to talk about that probably this afternoon or whatnot. But uh, thank you for joining us on the first episode of – Two for the Lions twenty four seven podcast pre Fiesta Bowl uh, the potpourri a- uh, episode. Yes, I the potpourri episode. Thank yeah. you for finally getting to that. <laughs> yes. and the compliments. I guess uh, trademarked. Anyway, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>